0: This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu.
1: They're plastic and shiny, they fit perfectly into your wallet. You can spend hundreds or thousands of dollars up front, and then you can pay that back over time. From that angle, credit cards look like a great deal. But what this definition leaves out is the high interest rates, the late fees, and the cycle of debt cardholders can find themselves in. Nearly half of U.S. credit card owners had an average of more than $5,200 in outstanding debt in 2022. Credit card debt overall is at a historic high. In the last three months of 2022, credit card balances rose from $61 billion to nearly $990 billion. That's according to the Federal Reserve Bank in New York. And that debt is likely to surpass $1 trillion this year. We heard from some of you about your credit card struggles.
2: During the pandemic,
0: I was uh, not unemployed, but underemployed. I work in the live music industry. My venue was closed for 15 months. So we really relied on the credit card to survive during that time. So my debt really kind of built up during that time, and and I really haven't been able to get on top of it since then. You know, it's it's been an uphill battle.
2: Our family's
3: had a lot of ups and downs with credit card debt over the years. Lately, it's been very helpful for doctor's bills that aren't covered by insurance or travel expenses to close friends' relatives' weddings. But we have about $15,000 accrued right now. And I'm thinking every month about how I'm going to pay this off and what I can do in my career or my business to make things better for ourselves. We can actually rely on savings instead of credit cards one day.
1: Why is credit card debt so high right now? How sustainable is this for the economy? And what can cardholders do to break a cycle of debt they may be stuck in? We're continuing our series in partnership with Bloomberg. It's called Life and Debt. During the series, we get into the federal debt limit, student loans, and medical debt. For this installment, we're focusing on credit cards. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into, so stay with us.
0: FX is clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This message comes from Wired. On Wired Politics Lab, you will be guided through the exciting, challenging, and sometimes entertaining vortex of internet extremism, conspiracies, and disinformation. Listen to Wired Politics Lab wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Joining us for the conversation is Claire Ballantyne. She's a personal finance reporter with Bloomberg News. Claire, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Atif Mia. He's a professor of economics, public policy, and finance at Princeton University. Professor Mia, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you. Pleased to be here.
1: And Cara Perez. She's a personal finance educator. She's also the founder of the financial education company Bravely Go. Cara, it's great to have you back. Happy to be here. Let's start with this from Andy.
0: I guess the easiest thing to say about credit cards is that's just it. They're easy to use. You can defer a payment and make up for it later. Um, With today's economy, it's been a little harder to make up for it due to the fact that other costs are increasing of other things. So local budgets and household income and stuff like that isn't pacing with racking up that debt that we tell ourselves, oh, yeah, we'll take care of it later.
1: Andy, thanks for that message. Claire, why is credit card debt so high right now?
3: I think the primary reason for it being high right now has to do with how the economy has taken a downward turn. During the pandemic, we saw stimulus payments um, that really helped people out. We saw a lot of people being able to save more. And now in 2023, we still have inflation really high. We have rents high. And for a lot of people, it's hard to make ends meet. And when there isn't enough money to go around, people have to resort to their credit cards.
1: Professor Mia, what effect does this collective debt have on the economy?
2: Well, there are two pieces to it. One is when people are uh, borrowing more, so when credit is growing, uh, at that time, it has a positive effect in the economy because it's boosting aggregate demand. There's more spending, people are going and buying stuff with uh, that credit card borrowing. So on the upside, it feels fine, in fact, even good at some level. The problem starts when the cycle turns negative, which it inevitably does because people are taking on this credit card debt at uh, very high interest rates. So it's not possible for them to keep borrowing. So at some point, they have to start paying it back. That's one way of thinking about it. Or credit titans and credit card companies are now uh, less willing to lend to them. When that starts to happen, what we sometimes refer to as credit contraction, then you enter the negative phase of the cycle, which tends to be more... Destructive or restrictive, if you will, relative to the boom that we experience when credit is growing. Um, and, and, and and that's really the main reason why sort of over binging on debt uh, can be very damaging uh, for the economy because that it makes the downturns that much more severe as people try to pay back the debts by cutting other uh, uh, forms of spending. Uh, from health education to just basic necessities of life.
1: Kara, when do people tend to rely more on credit cards? What's typically happening in their lives?
4: Similar to what Claire said, it's when costs really start to balloon. So if your rent goes up $400 a month and you can't find another place to live, you're forced to pay that you're going to redirect your paycheck to that $400. So now your grocery spending is going to go on the credit card and you're going to kick the can down the line. So really people turn to credit cards not out of a, oh, I can't wait to be in debt to Capital One mindset. It's more out of a, I have no other options at this point.
1: You know, when we look at the the current amount of credit card debt, Claire, is it that more people are using credit cards right now or is it that the debt they've accrued continues to increase, or, or at least not decrease, the longer they don't pay it off in full?
3: I think it's a combination of both. Um, we just saw that, uh, in according to um, Federal Reserve data, that credit card uh, debt declined in early 2023. Um, however, that's less than it typically does in the first quarter of each year so we still have balances near a record high up from 19 percent a year earlier and basically this all has to do with people both charging higher balances on their credit cards as their expenses increase and as they haven't been able to pay down that debt from past months it kind of just builds on itself
1: so professor mia as we said we're approaching one trillion dollars in credit card debt what kind of effect does that debt have on the economy if people start to default on it because they can't pay it
2: off? Yes, as I was saying earlier, um, the default itself is less of an issue for the economy. What's The bigger issue is the fact that when those defaults start to mount, all the lending agencies, they become sort of scared And that's when you see sort of a more significant credit contraction. And so you really have to go back and ask yourself, okay, when all this credit was growing, it was feeding into the the demand side of the economy by generating spending that was leading to demand and jobs behind it. So when there is credit contraction, because people start defaulting, everything seems to just stop. And it is that stoppage of credit growth that really turns this cycle much more negative that's number 1 number 2 the individuals who are defaulting they also suffer uh, usually sort of extreme short term consequences and one of the reasons is that when you when you default your credit history all of a sudden becomes uh, very bad uh, you, uh, it, it goes into your record, and you know it can be more difficult for you, for example, to get a new job. Sometimes they require credit checks, or get a new sort of rental house because, again, anything that requires a credit check, which is a number of things in the U.S. economy. For all of those reasons, these sort of negative episodes they get compounded both at the individual level uh, for the person who is defaulting, but also more broadly at the economy-wide level because of uh, this phenomenon of credit contraction.
1: Well, and what makes credit card debt different from other kinds of debt, like student loans or or mortgage debt, Professor Mia?
2: Well, the big difference is the typical interest rate that's charged on credit card debts. Um The interest rates can range anywhere from 15 percentage points to 20, 25 percentage points. These are really incredibly high interest rates. And this is perhaps the most important fact to know about credit card debt and why this debt is particularly dangerous if people are not careful uh, in terms of how much they are borrowing or for what purpose they are borrowing. Um, And so one, one of the stories early on in your Sure, it was, uh, you know, Andy came up and says, you know, it's a, you borrow because it just looks so easy. It's easy to borrow, and you think you can make up for it later. Um, so people can have, like, sort of behavioral tendencies to just be attracted to borrowing today, but what they may not realize fully at the time they are borrowing is, again, this very high cost of borrowing, which is the interest rate. And to just put this in perspective... Over the last 20 years, if you take the median um, household income, the median household income in nominal terms, so including the effect of inflation, has only grown at the rate of about 2.6 percentage points a year. So imagine your income is growing at 2.6 percentage points a year, but you are borrowing on credit card at 14, uh, 20, 25 percentage points a year. There is really no way you can pay that loan back without cutting back seriously on your uh, um, other forms of spending when it's time to pay back that credit card debt. So this is sort of the main reason why credit card debt is so different from other forms of debt and why tends to be the most sort of dangerous for, uh, for a typical consumer.
1: We got this message from one of you. With my rent increasing $500 in three years, I've relied on credit cards all too often to pay for things. Now they're maxed out and I suffer from severe anxiety and sleeplessness, thinking about how I'll never be able to pay them down unless I work endlessly and miss out on my kids' childhoods to make a dent. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit Bluehost.com.
4: Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR. We're
1: discussing why credit card debt is at a historic high and how you can tackle your own debt. The average American has three to four credit cards, according to Experian. And according to the Federal Reserve, 83% of U.S. adults had credit cards between 2020 and 2021. Professor Mia, how did credit cards become such a normal part of our financial lives?
2: Yeah, that's a very important um, question. Um, Historically, credit card was not a big part of uh, the American life. Things really changed uh, post-1980s. Before that, there were limits um, on how much banks and potential credit card companies could charge uh, consumers. And so, because of those kind of limits and other forms of regulation, uh, there wasn't as much of it. But from 1980 onwards, there was this broader wave of deregulation in the financial sector. And among many other changes, one of the changes was this proliferation of uh, credit cards uh, across uh, the country, um, One of the deeper reasons for why we see this rising, not just credit cards, but all kinds of consumer and mortgage debt and other forms of uh, uh, credit in the economy is this process that sometimes is referred to as financialization of the economy. And um, one of the deeper uh, sort of factors uh, or causes behind it uh, has been the rising uh, extreme inequality in the U.S., Because what extreme um, inequality means is that those at the very top, so think like the top 1% of the economy, um, rising extreme inequality means that that fraction of the population is now getting a larger and larger share of the income pie. Um, But one important fact about the top 1% is that they tend to save a much larger share of their income. And the way they save typically is they plow that saving back into the financial system. And so as inequality rose from 1980 onwards, you had the financial system kind of flush with savings coming from the rising inequality. And and, and those financial surpluses in the financial system had had to go somewhere. And so banks and other financial institutions, they were looking for avenues. And so there was a lot of lobbying by banks and so on to make it easier for people to borrow so they could channel those excess savings from the very top of the income distribution to the relatively more middle class uh, parts of the US and that's what we saw uh, just skyrocket from then on
1: but it, but in channeling that surplus into the middle class population it it was so that money could then create more money in the in the form of interest rates if i'm hearing you correctly
2: well the immediate purpose of all of this is to absorb that financial surplus so it could generate spending or demand so that's literally what people do when they borrow you know the the, the, the immediately when you borrow the very definition especially on credit cards is that you have spent that money on something right you may have you may have uh, bought a refrigerator you may have gone on a vacation you may have paid a medical bill whatever it is it is some kind of spending so, the immediate uh, uh, response uh, is that it, it, it adds to aggregate demand in the economy, which it needs, because if people at the top are saving uh, more than uh, it used to be the case for the overall economy, that, that, that saving needs to be channeled. So, it's something that the economy needs in the short term. The problem, however, starts, and this is where sort of the interest rate becomes really important. The problem really begins when all of those individuals who have borrowed um, have to Uh, either roll over that debt or pay it back. In either of those two cases, they have to pay the interest rate on that. And the basic fact is, uh, sort of the math doesn't work out uh, in the aggregate in the following sense. They are borrowing at rates, as I've already mentioned, like 15% to 25 percentage points. Their incomes are not rising at, not even close to that uh, rate of borrowing. Um, And so they start having difficulty paying uh, that money back at, the level of interest rate that they had uh, borrowed and, and 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 that's really when the economy starts to feel a pinch, if you will, for all of the the the, the borrowing that was done to boost spending earlier.
1: Well, Carrie, we're hearing from lots of people who are talking about using credit cards to pay for necessities like groceries. How can you tell the difference between when you're just using your credit card and when you're relying on your credit cards?
4: Ooh, what a great question. I would say that the first thing you should do is look at your total monthly income. And if you can't cover all of your expenses, rent, healthcare, gas, groceries, with the cash flow coming into your life, you are probably reliant on credit. And unfortunately, that's a lot of people in the United States right now because inflation has gone up so much. Companies have raised their prices to capitalize on the need. And Wages, especially for lower income earners, have not gone up. So people are being forced to spend more money without getting more cash flow into their lives. And it's pushing a lot of people from that, oh, I'm using credit cards as kind of an option to I have to use this.
1: Hmm. You know, Claire, I'm thinking about these shopping websites that are using buy now, pay later services like Affirm and, and Klarna. PayPal also has a buy now, pay later feature. Where do those services fit into the larger conversation on credit and debt?
3: That's a great point. Those have really risen in popularity over the past few years, particularly among younger generations. I think of Gen Z and millennials, there's a lot of fear of credit card debt, rightly so, and they've gravitated towards some of these other options that portray themselves as safer, there's also a chance that they could make it easier to spend and that they could enable people to buy more than they can actually afford, just like credit cards. Um, I think they've been really appealing to younger people who are worried about credit card debt, rightly so, but there's also a balance there. And we're seeing that, you know, according to a report from Credit Karma, um, members of Gen Z saw their their average debt balloon to over 16,000 dollars last year. So it's uh, affecting a lot of people who maybe
1: use credit cards somewhat,
3: but could also be enticed to spend more than maybe they can afford just because it's so easy to use some of these services. Well,
1: let's go to a message we got from a member of the 1A Text Club. They write, I've used money that could have given me and my family more disposable income to pay down credit card debt. I try to pay more than the minimum and cover half the interest, but I just received a letter from one credit card company telling me that they were increasing my rate by about 6.5%. They say the reason is because of the balance and my credit report, even though my credit score is about seven hundred Forty. I've paid my bills on time. Kara, let's start first with whether you have to agree to the increase in your percentage rate, or, or rather your your um, that that interest rate. Or is this something they can go back to the to the credit card company and say, "Wait a second, what are we doing here? Let's negotiate this."
4: You can absolutely negotiate your interest rate, and you can negotiate other things too, such as. Uh, what day of the month you make your payment, or even how much your minimum monthly payment is. It's always worth the conversation. And in this case, with this person, if you haven't seen a change in your credit score, but they're telling you that they do, that's definitely worth a phone call to say, okay, walk me through what you're seeing and your decision-making process here. Because on my end, I am still a very strong uh, candidate.
1: Now, Professor Mia, the average interest rate on a new credit card in 2023 is 22%. That's according to Wallet Hub. And for context, the average student loan interest rate for existing borrowers is 5.8%. Why are the interest rates for credit cards so
2: high? Well, because the clientele, first of all, is a lot more fragile. Um, All of the anecdotes that you uh, talked uh, about suggest that these are individuals who are borrowing for reasons um, that are sort of uh, more fr- fr- fragile in their in their life cycle so if i have an emergency medical bill for example um, i might borrow on credit card so uh, i can get the treatment but that also means that i have to do this because my income or savings were not sufficient for me to pay, pay the medical bill on my own. So by definition, these loans are riskier. That's one reason. But I think there is a second reason as well, which is perhaps uh, um, a bit more worrisome, which is uh, that uh, these uh, kind of loans, uh, which sort of have this immediate gratification attached to them, uh, I want this uh, uh, Starbucks four bucks happiness, as was just mentioned. Um, th- th- there there is that clientele as well and what credit card companies can try and do through marketing and so on is to attract them to you know to use credit to buy that cup of coffee and then um have them pay the interest rate on that when they realize that they can't pay for that cup of coffee immediately so they just keep on paying interest rate on that for a while before they have sufficient income to to pay for it. Um, So these are uh, sort of the two main reasons that the interest rate is is much higher. I think the bigger question is that we need to think more carefully about protecting consumers from uh, some of these tendencies of overborrowing. And also we need to recognize that if the average interest rate is 22%, for almost everyone in the US, nobody will be able to pay it back without suffering negative consequences in the long run because their incomes are not going to grow at that faster pace. So I think that's sort of the basic fact that is very important for us to educate the public about. We
1: got this email from Kate, who says, I'm a single mother of two kids in elementary and high school. I have a good job making six figures, but I still live paycheck to paycheck due to debt. I struggle to stop using credit cards to fill the gaps each month. I have an unspeakable amount of credit card debt. It's hard not to feel like it's some kind of moral failure or character flaw. It's all so overwhelming.
4: Uh, Kara, any advice for Kate? Yes. Kate, I just want to say a phrase that I think you will find helpful is debt is morally neutral. You are not a bad person for having debt. We live in a system that almost requires debt or it requires the use of credit in order to build your credit score so that you can buy a home, right? We need to use these tools and you are not a bad person, especially as a single mom in a very expensive country, um, for having debt. I would say if you are looking for kind of like baby steps to try and dig yourself out of debt, you can look into a balance transfer to a 0% interest credit card. That will help give you a little breathing room with these high interest rates. And then list out your debt um, from lowest balance to highest balance and try and pay off the lowest balance first while just making the minimum payments on the other ones. Tackle the debt one at a time. And that's kind of where you start with the plan, but you're not a bad person.
1: Well, I want to go to our inbox. We got this message from someone in Detroit.
2: You have these things called balance transfers, which are interest-free options in the credit world. Um, I I myself am carrying about 70000 in revolving credit card debt, all of it virtually interest-free. You pay a one-time transfer fee about three to five percent. And you have between 12 to 18, sometimes 24 months to pay that down. So when you find yourself in a little bit of a bind, take this route, which is interest-free. Save yourself some money at a time like today in today's economy.
1: So, Kara, that's what you were just mentioning. But briefly, what questions do you need to ask yourself and the credit card company before you move forward with a balance transfer?
4: So you need to ask yourself, the balance transfer is Uh, or the 0% interest is always going to be for a limited time, six months, 16 months, something like that. So what am I going to do in those ensuing months to make sure that when the interest does kick in, I can afford it? That's number one. And then number two, just applying online or hopping on the phone with a representative and saying, how do I qualify for this? And then making sure you meet their qualifications.
1: And then that listener also mentioned a one-time fee. Is that something you need to be very clear about before you decide to transfer to a zero interest card?
4: Yes. Like the caller said, it is usually between three and 5% and they just add that to the balance. So it's not going to come as an additional fee elsewhere in your life. Um, But that's something to be very, very clear about how much will that be before you decide to open a new card.
1: Now, the burden of credit card debt falls on the cardholder who has to pay it back. But what role do banks and credit card companies play in perpetuating these cycles of debt? That's next.
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. This message comes from NPR sponsor Made in Cookware. Did you know that many popular dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in Made in Cookware? Maiden supplies chefs with high-end cookware because Maiden makes exactly what demanding chefs look for. When you level up your cooking, remember what great dishes on menus worldwide have in common. They're Maiden Maiden. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th.
1: Visit MaidenCookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N Cookware.com. Now let's get back to our discussion about rising credit card debt and what it means for credit holders and the economy. Joanna emailed us this. Thanks for explaining that corporations have raised prices because they can, but haven't raised wages. When Dr. Mia talks about the wealthiest having too much savings that isn't going back into the economy, can he talk about ways the tax or legislative system could counteract that? Dr. Mia?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um uh, it can. Um, unfortunately, what has happened in the U.S. over time is that the tax system has become um, over time less progressive. That is to say, the rate at which the top 1% are taxed relative to, let's say, the middle class um, has actually gone down, and the overall tax rate is uh, sort of uh, flat across the income distribution. So it 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 needs to be more progressive. Uh that's number one to to address these kind of issues but then we also need to think about public investment in um education especially higher education for the for the middle class so they can go to college more easily without taking on student debt something that you were just talking about um those kind of policies would also change the distribution of income to begin with. And so the best solution to all of this really is to move towards an economy that grows more equitably um, and, and, and where the share of uh, income uh, coming from overall economic growth is shared more equally across the population as opposed to getting more and more concentrated at the very top. That's sort of the original sin, that that perpetuates this reliance on debt, this sort of addiction to debt that the economy overall feels that it is uh, it is uh, subjected to. Uh, so we, it's, it's really a deeper structural issue and Problems like the ones we are talking about, credit card debt and people's inability to pay, pay large balances, those are largely symptoms of this deeper underlying problem that the U.S. economy has been facing, especially over the last few decades, which again is the rise of inequitable growth.
1: Mm. We got this message from Martin who says, my credit card limit keeps increasing and has gone well past what I make annually. Is that standard practice? Because that just seems like a bad
4: idea. Kara? That's interesting. I wouldn't say it's standard practice, though credit card companies do have at their discretion the ability to raise your credit limit. Um, But I would not say it's standard and I would look into that.
1: Well, we got this message from a member of our tax club who writes, Our family is fighting to get by paycheck to paycheck. We don't earn enough to have extra for unexpected emergencies like a car breakdown or food costing more. But what's hardest on me is I work in a retail environment which requires quotas on signing people up for our credit card and then pushing the customer to use the card. We say it's interest-free if paid off in full. But if paid late, you suffer the 29% interest. Dig that hole and feed the company much more money than they could ever sell the product for to begin with. So please, us workers need protection from being forced predators for company credit cards. Professor Mia, we've talked about consumers, but what role do financial institutions play in perpetuating cycles of credit card debt?
2: Well, think of yourself from the perspective of a bank and ask yourself, who's your best client? <laughs> and your best client is someone who carries a large balance, pays a very high interest rate on that, and it's somewhat forgetful uh, that you can charge them hidden fees here and there and they may not notice it or if they notice it, it's too late uh, kind of a thing. And um, once you sort of understand the incentive structure uh, that I just described, um, it's not a surprise that, you know, we are hearing all these stories from your callers and listeners. Um, and and what, what what that means from a broader regulatory perspective is that there is a need to put guardrails in that, uh, in, 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 in that process. And I think it was a good thing when the Obama administration set up the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau to do some of that. Uh, but still, as the stories we are hearing are, are, are telling us, there is a lot more that needs to be done. Uh, I think it, it is important uh, to educate the listeners that they do have certain rights um uh, including if if the debt is too much they do have the right to appeal for bankruptcy um, so those are, you know, people need to know sort of the avenues that, th- that are available to them, the rights that are available to them. And I completely agree with the comment that was made earlier that we should not think of debt as a moral question. It's, it's like morally neutral. We should think of that as a practical question of, you know, what what is reasonable and what is not in terms of uh, financial planning.
1: Mm. I, Kara, I know we could do a whole hour on bankruptcy and, and what that can mean for your life, but how can people... Protect themselves from being exploited by banks and, and credit cards?
4: I, wow, big question. <laughs> but I would say the first thing is you do not need to utilize every product that a bank or a credit card pushes on you. That's the first thing there. They're not going to come to your house, knock on the door, and say, How come you're not utilizing such and such? So remember, you can say no. Secondarily, I would always check your credit score. You get one free check per year from each major bureau. So that's three total. Always check your uh, report, rather, not your score. And be on top of that and make sure that there are no mistakes because that will drag down your score and that can be used against you. And finally, really quickly on bankruptcy, it absolutely is a tool. And when you get to kind of rock bottom, please utilize it. But if you are not quite at rock bottom, understand that this is a very big financial decision that has ramifications for years to come. So please seek debt counseling. A lot of credit unions, um, a lot of third-party companies offer credit counseling or debt counseling, and that is definitely a step to take before you assume that you need to declare bankruptcy. We got this message
1: from Pat, who writes, all advertising of credit cards is so deceptive that the average person is easily pulled into the abyss. The advertising should not be legal. Claire, what regulatory protections are in place uh, around specifically credit card advertising?
3: That's a really good question. And I think, like you said, it really is easy for people to be drawn in by some of these Advertisements that seem too good to be true. I think that, just like we were saying before, the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has a ton of great resources. And even just for people who can get on and explore the website and can look at some of these frequently asked questions that they have on there, they have a great explainer on what's allowed and what's not. Um, the, the Bureau is definitely looking into whenever any kind of advertisement violates any issues. But if you see one and you think, that you know, it's doing something in violation of the law, you can definitely report it. And even beyond that, just knowing what is okay and what is not according to the CFPB can really help kind of guide your decision-making when you see one of these advertisements.
1: Professor Mia, anything to add?
2: No, I, I, I uh, uh, completely agree. Um, credit card debt is extremely costly. And people need to know that they should avoid it as far as possible so and, and they should really ask themselves is it worth borrowing at such a high cost and they should have a clear answer to that question before they dive in because the longer term consequences of borrowing on credit card can be more destructive than the sort of the immediate use whatever that might be of the money that they are borrowing
1: Let's go back to our voicemail box. Here's a message we got from Wolf.
0: I spent all of my 20s not using a credit card due to low credit score, but as I've reached my 30s, I've been approved for credit cards. And that restraint from inaccess to using a credit card taught me how to be more financially responsible. So now that I do have credit cards available, I only use them for specific purchases, no impulse purchases, and with the amount of money that I currently make, around $70,000 a year, I pay the balance off immediately, helping to improve my credit and also keeping me responsible.
1: Well, thanks for that message. But we also heard from BS. who writes, Before the pandemic, I had zero credit card debt because I paid off all balances monthly. When I lost my job due to the pandemic, despite having a master's degree and several in-demand certifications, I had to live off credit cards until I finally found work. I exhausted half of my savings on medical bills and the other half on credit card payments. Not sure how I'll ever get out of that hole. Age discrimination is real. Otherwise, I'd be working and making a living wage. Carol, what can people do to manage their credit card debt before it gets out of hand or if they feel like it's already out of hand?
4: The first thing I say is please don't be afraid to get in contact with your lender. A lot of us, we get the bill, we start to shame spiral, we start to think, why did I spend that money on those groceries? Why did I do that? This is my fault. And then we want to hide from the lender because, again, we're afraid that they'll yell at us and our shame will compound. But Remember this, the truth of capitalism is people want to get paid. The credit card company wants to get paid and they can be flexible on how much they get paid or when they get paid, but you can't access that flexibility unless you ask. So step one, if you feel like it's beginning to get away from you, get in contact with the lender and ask for a movement on when you pay or how much you pay or try to negotiate that interest rate. Step two is take a step back and review your spending. This is a a, uh- personal responsibility approach to it of, okay, what do I have control of in my life and what do I not? If you're not working, if you're facing age discrimination, if you are disabled or something, that's going to put you in a very different place than someone who is just overspending with Amazon purchases. But you need to figure out where you are on that spectrum. And then step three is to be strategic about how you make your payments. Paying off your higher interest debt first will save you more money in the long run because obviously you pay less interest. Um, But paying off your smallest debt first gives you that immediate rush and you think, heck yeah, I can do this. And it gets you excited and keeps you motivated.
1: We're talking to personal finance educator, Kara Perez, Atif Mia, economics professor and Bloomberg News reporter, Claire Valentine. We're also hearing from you. Robert emails, I'm a 29-year-old from Michigan who just got a secured credit card this past fall. I worked low-income retail jobs and knew I would never be able to afford being in debt. However, I had no credit and thus struggled with finding rental housing as I'd need a guarantor or three to four times the rent as a down payment. It feels like credit debt is an evil made necessary. Professor Mia, this is this is something we've referred to throughout this conversation. You need a credit score in order to buy a a house, a car, many other things. How sustainable is this system we've created, where debt is necessary to achieving the so-called American dream?
2: Yeah, well, let's sort of separate two things. Um, credit score is needed; just as sort of people use it as verification that someone has pays back on time, and they haven't borrowed too much, and they haven't defaulted in the past. So it's sort of this a bit of a check on someone's. Uh, um, uh, uh, sort of behavioral tendencies in life and their income potential, if you will, that those two things combined. Um, you don't have to, it's very important people understand that you don't have to take on debt to build a credit score. All, so for example, if you are using credit card to make a purchase, but you pay off that balance before uh, you have to pay interest on that, um, that will help you build your credit history. So we need to separate those two things that even if you need credit score, to have a good credit score, you don't need to actually actively borrow on credit cards. So I think people should sort of mentally uh, separate those two things. The unfortunate thing about credit card borrowing uh, as a, as, at a societal level is that at some level we have implicitly started using credit card debt as a social safety net policy. I mean, you know, a number of your uh, sort of stories of people's uh, actual lives are like, you know, un- un- unfortunately someone gets laid off and then they start using credit card debt as a source of uh, sort of cash uh, in the short term to make ends meet. Um That is something that we, obviously you can't blame that individual. They have to do what they have to do. So obviously I'm not second guessing them at all in that situation. But we do need to think about this as as a society in terms of you know what kind of uh, social safety net protections we need to have for individuals who find themselves in those uh, kind of uh, unfortunate situations, mm. particularly when it comes to potentially cutting back on spending like a child's education um, or a key sort of healthcare need and so on so I think we we really need to do a better job i mean in the u s is like the richest country in history, uh, it really needs to do a better job in terms of having uh, a secure social safety net.
1: Briefly, in 2020, Americans collectively paid off an unprecedented $83 billion in credit card debt, and this was when people were receiving stimulus checks. Claire, in just a sentence or two, what does this say about how people manage debt when they actually can afford to?
3: Yeah, I think it says that people want to pay down debt. A lot of them just can't because the money coming in isn't enough. And we see that for many reasons, like we've talked about, wage growth hasn't kept up with inflation. But I think the takeaway is that people don't want to be in debt. And for many people, it's not irresponsibility that gets them into debt. It's income inequality.
1: Well, Kara, I'm going to give you the last word here with any final advice. I know one thing that stood out to me this hour is Professor Mia referring to credit cards as loans, that you're basically taking out a high-interest loan when you make a purchase. Any other final words?
4: I just want to reiterate that debt does not make you a bad person. You are not a bad person for utilizing tools to survive. But I would say if you're serious about changing your financial life, it's a matter of sitting down, reviewing your finances, and it's a matter of being an active participant in our system so we can try and change some of these problems from the top level down.
1: That's Kara Perez. She's the founder of the financial education company Bravely Go. Also with us, Atif Mia. He's a professor of economics, public policy, and finance at Princeton University. And Claire Ballantyne, a personal finance reporter with Bloomberg News. Thanks to you all. Our series in partnership with Bloomberg, Life and Debt, will continue with conversations about medical debt and student loans. Today's producer was Haley Blassingate. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Let's talk more soon. This is 1A.
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs with flowering shrubs and evergreens that encourage gardeners and would-be gardeners to express their creativity outdoors at garden centers nationwide at ProvenWinnersColorChoice.com NPR.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from Edward Jones. What is rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. Edward Jones Financial Advisors are people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln?